Good morning. <laughs> I think we'll uh, we'll try to get started. <laughs> oh, welcome everybody. All right. Now that everybody's sat down, let's stand up for our call to worship. <laughs> Praise the Lord. I will give thanks to the Lord with my whole heart in the assembly of the godly and the congregation. The Lord's deeds are great, eagerly awaited by all who desire them. His work is majestic and glorious, and his faithfulness endures forever. He does amazing things that will be remembered. The Lord is merciful and compassionate. Amen. Let's worship in song. My Jesus,
Please be seated. So we the adult Sunday school at 9 a.m. Um, encourage everyone to come. It's really been good, good discussions. The hard sayings of Jesus. So encourage everyone to come to that. Men, next Saturday there'll be no men's um, breakfast. We're going to be out of town, and uh, <clears throat> so there will be the following week though. Okay. And. The, there's one before this. Well, the elders' proposal, as we mentioned last week, um, we're proposing that uh, Mark be an elder and that Chad be a deacon, and we're going to have a um, church vote after the service. We're figuring January 20th. We need by our constitution. This is the process that we that we need to go through for. What's that? Oh, <laughs> uh, February 20th. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. What year is it already? <laughs> yeah, I didn't put the year up there, but yeah, all right. <laughs> um, and let's see, the other one was the um, All Church Prayer Night will be next Sunday, February 13th at 6.30. And the Women's Friday Night will be February 8th, 18th at Brigida's. At what time? I don't have a slide for that. Six o'clock? Six o'clock, okay. All right. And uh, one last thing. If, um, if you want a hard copy, a text of what we said last week, I'm going to have a stack of them on the table um, when we leave. So, all right. <clears throat> so, for the offertory, this is again John Piper. Um, how to repent. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. 1 John 1.9 A vague, bad feeling that you are a crummy person is not the same as conviction for sin. Feeling rotten is not the same as repentance. This morning I began to pray and felt unworthy to be talking to the creator of the universe. It was a vague sense of unworthiness, so I told him so. Now what? Nothing changed until I began to get specific about my sins. Crummy feelings can be useful if they lead to conviction for specific sins, but vague feelings of being a bad person are not usually very helpful. The fog of unworthiness needs to take shape into clear, dark pillars of disobedience. Then you can point to them and repent and ask for forgiveness and take aim with your gospel bazooka to blow them up. So I began to call the mind, to mind the commands that I frequently break. These are the ones that came to mind. Love God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. Not 95%, but 100%. Love your neighbor as you love yourself. Be as eager for things to go well for him as you are for things to, to go well with you. Do all things without grumbling. No grumbling, inside or outside. Cast all your anxieties on him so you're not being weighed down by them anymore. Only say things that give grace to others, especially those closest to you. Redeem the time, don't fritter away the minutes or dawdle. So much for any pretensions to great holiness. I'm undone. This is much worse than vague, crummy feelings. Uh, now, but now the enemy is visible. The sins are specific, they've come out of hiding. 
I look them in the eye. I'm not whining about feeling crummy. I'm apologizing to Christ for not doing specific things that he commanded. I'm broken and I'm angry at my sins. I want to kill it, not me. I'm not suicidal. I'm a sin hater and a sin murderer. Quote, put to death what is earthly in you, Colossians 3, 5. Put to death the deeds of the body, Romans 8, 13. I want to live. That's why I'm a killer of my sin. In this conflict, I hear the promise, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. 1 John 1, 9. Peace rises. Now, prayer feels possible and right and powerful again. Amen. The ushers come forward. Let's pray. Oh, Father, we, we thank you and praise you, Lord, for your word. We thank you and praise you, Lord, for the fact that we can come before you, confess our sins. And we do that, Lord. That you are faithful and just to forgive us our sins. And we praise you for that. We praise you for the provision you've given us. We praise you, Lord, that we can give these gifts and offerings. We ask, Lord, that you use them in your kingdom. We pray for us as a body here and, Lord, for all of the other uh, bodies of believers in this area. We pray this morning especially for all, all of them and all of us. Work in our hearts, strengthen us, build us up. We love you and praise you in Jesus' name. Amen. stand and continue in worship song.
seated. We welcome back Tim and Alex, and Tim will be preaching. Morning, church. Everybody hear me? All right. You can hear me without this thing, but it makes a difference. All right. Well, before we open the word today, let's let's go ahead and open in prayer and and uh, open our hearts to what the Lord has for us. Heavenly Father, God, we just come before you this morning. Lord Jesus, we just thank you so much for who you are as our Savior, our King, our Redeemer, the Chosen One, the Messiah of old who came to save and who's coming again to save us from this world. Lord Jesus, we just praise you. Holy Spirit, I pray you would fill our hearts and our minds anew this morning that we would be open to hearing your word today as we study something that we've studied before that we've seen before but let's let us get deeper let us know it deeper know you deeper lord god i pray for everyone here that we would just know you deeper as we hear your word lord god that we would grow as your people and grow in our love for you lord god and grow in the strength of our faith for you, Lord God. So God, we give you all praise, honor, and glory. God, I pray that you would become more and more, and I would become less and less, that your word would go out, and it would not come back empty, Lord, as we know. And we give you all praise, Lord Jesus. And it's in your name we pray this morning. Amen. Amen. All right. We're going to be in the book of Daniel for four weeks. Uh, we're going to be doing a short series in Daniel. Um, I'm happy to be here, happy to be back. Uh, to give the book of Daniel justice would take months, or maybe even a year. Uh, so we're going to do four weeks, though, as best we can. And we're going to approach it as a survey. Today we're going to jump into the introduction of Daniel, the themes of Daniel, and the heart of Daniel. As we see a, the purpose, especially in Daniel chapter 1, we see the purpose of Daniel and how God has kept this book for us to teach us um, what he wants us to know. What's really important as we go through this book is in the book of Daniel, we see some of the best, most important scriptures in our word. Um, some prophecies that declare to us the end from the beginning and show us what God has in store for us as God's people and what God has in store for Israel as, as his chosen people. And, and so we're going to go ahead and, and dive into the book of Daniel for the next four weeks uh, by the grace of God. Um, and as we dive into this, I think we're really going to get a lot from it. I've been studying the book of Daniel a lot in my own personal life within the last year, and, and I think... It's just a huge blessing for us today. So I want to start with a passage from the word before we even jump into Daniel. From Isaiah 44, we hear the word of the Lord. That our God, Yahweh, speaks. 
Thus says the Lord, the King of Israel, and his Redeemer, the Lord of hosts. I am the first and I am the last. Besides me, there is no God who is like me. Let him proclaim it. Let him declare and set it before me. Since I appointed an ancient people, let them to declare what is to come and what will happen. Fear not. Do not be afraid. I have told you from of old and declared it. And you are my witnesses. Is there a God besides me? There is no rock. I know not any. This is our God. The God who declares the beginning from the end. The God who speaks. We have a God who speaks. There is no other God that can speak. And so this is our God who speaks. And in the book of Daniel, we have this God, our God who speaks, who knows the end from the beginning. Speak to us, his people, through the prophet Daniel. So we come to this book of Daniel, and we're going to approach it, like I said, in four weeks. Uh, And so we're going to jump right into Daniel here. Daniel is a narrative and a, a prophetic book. Uh, it's one of the it's the last major prophet before we get into the minor prophets. And Daniel, as he as he speaks, we'll see as we go through this book that it really is a mixture of that narrative of Daniel and his life. But also it has the prophecy and the interpretation of Daniel as God reveals to his people his plans. And so we see in Daniel a lot of apocalyptic uh, teachings and apocalyptic prophecies, and we know apocalypse, apocalyptic, speaking of the end times, the things of the end, and these prophecies, these revelations we will see in Daniel uh, really deal with from the point of Daniel, and I'm going to put forward till the end of this time of man when Jesus returns. Daniel addresses all of it. And as I have studied Daniel and approached Daniel, I've just been baffled by what's in here that I never knew. Things in the book of Daniel that are so important for us as Christians today. And we'll see in Daniel that, yes, there are stories, but there is this overarching story, this overarching teaching, this overarching purpose of Daniel as we go through the book. And so I want to hopefully help us understand the key themes of Daniel. I think the first key thing of Daniel is God's sovereignty. God is in charge. He has set forward a plan. Man may decide what he wants to do, but in the end, God is the one who directs his steps. So we have, that's the first key theme of Daniel. Probably the most important theme is God's sovereignty. The second key theme in Daniel is faithfulness. Us as God's people and our faithfulness to God, but also God's faithfulness to his people that he promises to bring them through this time, and we'll see here, of Babylon, and bring them to a time of, of restoration to his, his restored hand, his restored kingdom. So we see faithfulness is a key key, that, or a key theme, that God is faithful to his people, and that we are called to be faithful to the Lord. I think the third theme, and like I said, there's lots of little themes in this book, but the third main theme is that through history we will have trials. That that is just, that's just set in stone. There is going to be trials and struggle, but that God has the ultimate victory. And so I think that's the third theme that's important, that there is going to be struggle and trials, but ultimately God has victory. And with those three, three 
themes being established. I'd like to sum them up in one purpose statement that I think is important for us to understand as we move through this book. God's ultimate victory over the powers of evil in this world is guaranteed. So we who believe need to stay faithful to the Lord, no matter what this evil world brings upon us. God's ultimate victory is guaranteed. So we are are called to remain faithful to the one who's going to win. Amen. I think that's the main purpose that we see. That's a a purpose statement, if you will, of Daniel. He is writing. And I'll give us the context here. He is writing in order to encourage us as his people, encourage Israel first and foremost, but as we read it today as Christians, encourage us that, yes, in this time of evil, God is the victor. So the call on us is remain faithful to him. Encouragement on us is to stay faithful. Don't lose hope. Don't lose your heart. Be faithful to the one who's going to win. And today in chapter one, we'll see this theme really in Daniel's opening laid out for us today. So Daniel opens this book and he jumps right into the story of what is going on in his in his uh, in his life. And the context we see here as we jump into this is Daniel is writing around 605 B.C. That's about the about the time of the exile of the Jews into Babylon. So between 605 and really 536 B.C., Daniel is writing this book. And he's writing the stories of of what he experienced, and he's teaching uh, the truth that the people need to hear to be encouraged to live for this God who is in control. And so here in this context, I'll bring us to Jeremiah 25. This is what's going on. There's a prophecy in Jeremiah 25, the a de- declaration from God, if you will, of what was going to happen to the nation of Judah, the southern tribe of Israel. It says, Therefore, thus says the Lord in Jeremiah 25, Because you have not obeyed my words, behold, I will send for all the tribes of the north, declares the Lord, and for Nebuchadnezzar, the king of Babylon, my servant, and I will bring them against this land and its inhabitants. Against all these surroundings, I will devote them to destruction and make them a whore, hissing in an everlasting desolation. Moreover, I will banish from them the voice of mirth and the voice of gladness, the voice of the bridegroom, the voice of the bride, the grinding of the millstones, and the light of the lamp. This whole land shall become a ruin and a waste, and these nations shall serve the king of Babylon 70 years. So that's the prophecy given of what's coming to Judah. Remember, I shared um, a couple months ago, maybe more longer than that, uh, through the book of Habakkuk. Habakkuk was preaching in a time before Babylon was going to come, and he says, God, we need justice to come. And God says, okay, I'm going to rise up the Chaldeans, the Babylonians. I'm going to rise them up, and they're going to take you. Now we're in the book of Daniel where that invasion has come. God said, I'm going to do it because you have disobeyed my word. You have left me. So I'm sending Babylon to bring justice upon you. And we see there in verse 11 that for 70 years, we see this, the people of Judah are going to be in captivity and exile from Babylon. But then in verse 12, I think we have it, 
then after 70 years are completed, I will punish the king of Babylon, that nation, the land of the Chaldeans for their iniquity, declares the Lord, making the land an everlasting waste. So there's hope. And that becomes important in a couple weeks when we deal with uh, Daniel speaking about um, asking the Lord, okay, the 70 years have come up. What's going to happen next? And we talk about the 70 weeks of Daniel. Uh, We'll get into that. But so here's what's to happen. They're to be taken into captivity. The justice of the Lord is to come to Judah. Remember, the northern kingdoms have been, the northern kingdom of Israel has been wiped out by the Assyrians. They left the Lord. They have been wiped out taken, assimilated, dispersed, the lost tribes of Israel is what they're called. The northern kingdom of Judah, the line of King David, the kings of, that come from the line of King David, they remained, in, and some kings were good, but most of them were not, and yet a remnant, a righteous, will live by faith, as we saw in Habakkuk. So that remnant is going to be restored, as we will see, and we see Daniel is the, the shining example of the righteous will live by faith. But this invasion comes, and that's where we get in Daniel. He gives us his picture of what was to happen, or what was happening to him in Daniel. So let's read Daniel chapter 1 together, well, at least this first part portion here. Daniel chapter 1, verse 1. Daniel's uh, recount of what happened. In the third year of the reign of Jehoiakim, king of Judah, Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, came to Jerusalem and besieged it. And the Lord gave Jehoiakim, king of Judah, into his hand uh, with some of the vessels of the house of God. And he brought them to the land of Shinar, to the house of his God, and placed the vessels in the treasury of his God. Then the king commanded Ashpenaz, his chief eunuch, to bring some of the people of Israel, both of the royal family and of nobility, youths without blemish, of good appearance, and of skillful in all wisdom, endowed with knowledge, understanding, learning, and competent to stand in the king's palace, and to teach them the literature and language of the Chaldeans. So here, right here as we move in the beginning, we see what has happened. The invasion has happened. The Babylon has conquered Judah. And we'll see that they, there were progressions of invasion happening to Judah at this time. But Babylon and conquers Judah and exiles a group of people from Judah to Babylonia. Within this group are these young men of royal family and of nobility who are taken from Judah brought to Babylon in order to be in the king's palace, in order to serve the king, in order to be assimilated. We see the people of God taken. We see Daniel's friends, him and we'll see this in a second, Daniel and his friends are taken into Babylon to be assimilated into their culture, to learn their literature, learn their language. They're captured and forced into exile. We know that soon the The temple itself will be destroyed in one of the revolts by Babylon. And so we see these people of God are now put into exile in Babylon. In verse 5, we have have what happened to those people who were taken into exile. The king assigned them a daily portion of the food that the king ate and of the wine that he drank. They were to be educated for three years, and at the end of that time, they were to stand before the king of Babylon. Among these were Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah of the tribe of Judah. And the chief of eunuchs gave them the names. Daniel he called Belteshazzar. Hananiah he called Shadrach. 
Mishael he called Meshach, and Azariah he called Abednego. So here we have the invasion complete. You have the people of God taken into Babylon. Not only were they taken into Babylon, made exiles in Babylon, they were to be assimilated into Babylon, conquered by Babylon, forced to serve the king of Babylon, forced to eat food that came from the king's table, that they would be totally reliant upon the king. They were to lose their national identity and take on the identity of Babylon. That's what was happening here. This is a tactic of invaders. Take the people from their land, assimilate them into our culture, erase their ethnic and religious identity. And that's what they were being forced to do. And you can see that they were, went so as, uh, as far as to even erase their names. And this is a point that I think is really important to see. Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Ezriah of the tribe of Judah, their names uh, called out to God, to Elohim, to Yahweh. And their names were changed to names that shouted out to Babylonian gods. Shadrach, Meshach, Abednego, Belteshazzar. These were names that called upon the Babylonian gods. It's funny because I always thought those names were funny. Because I grew up watching VeggieTales. I don't know if you remember VeggieTales and the story of Daniel and his, or a story of the, the men in the fire in VeggieTales. But their names were Shadrach, Meshach, and the Bumblebee. I always remembered that. I thought that was funny. But those were actually trying to erase their national and religious identity. And this is Babylon. The people of God made exiles in Babylon. And we're going to see Daniel and his friends' response to that exile to Babylon. But before we get into that, I think it's important to stop and ask a question about Babylon. What is Babylon? Because we know that there's this nation of Babylon that rose up from the Assyrian Empire. So you have the Assyrian Empire and a a band, a tribe of Chaldeans became the Babylonian Empire and they conquered Nineveh and they became the empire at the time. So there is this nation of Babylon. But this nation of Babylon goes back farther than even that nation standing there with Daniel. This idea of Babylon is so much deeper than just this nation that was there. Because we'll see in the book of Daniel, nations rise and fall, rise and fall. But this term Babylon stays around in our word. We see it in the end times, a, a Babylon of, in the book of Revelation, a Babylon then, and we'll see that here today. So what is this Babylon? What is this? Yes, there's a nation of Babylon, but what is this Babylon? I like to call it the spirit of Babylon. Right, let's go back to Genesis chapter 10, see where it all began. We have the sons of Noah. And Noah, as we know, he came through the ark and he had his three sons, Shem, Ham, and Japheth. And Ham was sinful towards his father, sinful towards the Lord, and, so, and was cursed by his father. So we already know bad things are coming for Ham. Well, listen to the descendants of Ham, the son of Noah. The sons of Ham were Cush, Egypt, Put, and Canaan. Those are all 
descendants, or those are names, and their descendants are enemies of Israel in the latter times. The sons of Cush were Seba, Havilah, Sabta, Rama, and Sabtica. The sons of Rama were Sheba and Dadan. And here we go. Cush fathered Nimrod. And for some reason we have this word in, in scripture. And he was the first on the earth to be a mighty man. He was a mighty hunter before the Lord. Therefore it is said like Nimrod, a mighty hunter before the Lord. And the beginning of his kingdom was Babel. Erech, Akkad, Kalna, and the land of Shinar. And from that land he went into Assyria and he built Nineveh, Reboah, Ar, Kala, and Rezin between Nineveh and Kala, that is the great city. So here we have Nimrod, grandson of Ham. Nimrod is called a mighty man before the Lord. In fact, a mighty hunter before the Lord. That term there is an interesting term. As you study it, it really means a mighty hunter in the place of God. He is a mighty man in the place of God. And we see this spirit of him. He was a mighty hunter. Who was he hunting? As I've studied this, he could have been hunting dinosaurs for all we know. But it sounds to me more like he was a killer. He was hunting men. He called himself the judge, jury, and executioner. He said he is God. And so we see this spirit of Nimrod, this mighty hunter in the place of God, before God. And the beginning of his kingdom was Babel. And that same spirit of Nimrod, that spirit of being in the place of God, built the city of Babel. We see that spirit in Babel itself. We know the Tower of Babel, don't we? Genesis chapter 12, verse 4. They said, come, let us build ourselves a city and a tower with its top in the heavens that we would make a name for ourselves lest we be dispersed over the face of the earth. So here we see the spirit of Babylon. It is I am God. I do not need God. Let us build a city to make a name for ourselves. Let us be Babel, Babylon. Here is the spirit of Babel. And we see that that continues into the time of Babylon, the spirit of the people against God, of really what we see, the enemy in the world, influencing man to make him a place, him a, a being instead of God. The spirit of Babel was to make a name for ourselves. That's the spirit of Babylon. Let us be in the place of God. It's the same sin of Satan. I want to be God. It's the same sin of Adam and Eve. Can't you become like God? It's the same sin of Babylon. This kingdom that we saw, even in Habakkuk, says they don't worship God. They worship themselves in their own strength. This is Babylon. And it's a spirit still alive today. The spirit of Babylon. We are God, so we don't need God. We are God, so we don't need a Savior. This time, beginning with Nimrod, and really continuing till the time the Lord's kingdom arrives on earth, has been called the time of the Gentiles, the time of the spirit of Babylon. Now, I'm simplifying a lot of this. You can get into tons of detail in all of this. But for us, we see that the spirit of Babylon continues on 
through every rising and falling nation, even to now and even to the end. Revelation 17, we see this depiction of Babylon, the mystery. On her forehead was written the name of mystery, Babylon the great, mother of prostitutes and of earth's abominations. And I saw the woman drunk with blood of the saints, the blood of the martyrs of Jesus. This woman sitting upon the kingdom of God, in fact, says the Antichrist is has her power in the end. This Babylon of old is the same spirit of Babylon of this rebellion to God, this mindset of, against God, fueled by Satan. In fact, in the end, the Antichrist becomes the king of this renewed Babylon in the end. And we'll talk more about that in a couple of weeks of what all that means, because that's when we start getting to the really good stuff. But just we have to understand this Spirit of Babylon is present. The spirit of Babylon is at work. And it's still alive today. So we come back to Daniel. Daniel chapter 1. We see he's brought and exiled into his Babylon. I think Daniel stands as a representative of those who are faithful. The righteous will live by faith. Of those who are faithful believers in Yahweh. He stands as a representative of them. And I think he also stands, resembles us in a great way. We today are exiles in our Babylon, aren't we? The word says that you are exiles and foreigners, sojourners in this world. Jesus Christ said, I pray that they will be in the world, but they are not of the world. They go into the world, but God, they are not of the world. So we are in our Babylon. We are exiles in Babylon in this world, just as Daniel was. And here in Daniel chapter 1, verse 8, we see Daniel's response to Babylon. Daniel resolved that he would not devile himself with the king's food or with the wine that he drank. Therefore, he asked the chief of eunuchs to allow him not to defile himself. So Daniel takes a stand. In his Babylon, they wanted to assimilate him, remove his identity, say, you cannot be faithful to God, you must be faithful to the king. Daniel knew what they were doing and said, no, I will be faithful to my God. I will not defile myself with the king's food of submission to the king as my God. And here we hear the story, and I'll read through it for us right now. And God gave Daniel favor and compassion in the sight of the chief of the eunuchs. And the chief of the eunuchs said to Daniel, I fear my lord, the king who assigned your food and your drink. For why should he see that you were in worse condition than the youths who are, not of, who are of your own age? So you would endanger my head with the king. So you, Daniel says, I will not eat the food or the drink that you give me from the king. Because I want to remain pure to my lord. And the chief eunuch <laughs> says, well... I'm going to get my head cut off if I bring you before the king and you're skinny and, and dying because you weren't eating food. And Daniel said to the steward whom the chief of the eunuchs had assigned over Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. And look at that. Look at the names that's used in that verse. That's very important. They retained their own names. They didn't care about the names were given to them by Babylon. They retained the names that worship Yahweh. And so Daniel says this, test your servants for 10 days. Let us be given vegetables to eat, water to drink. 
Let our appearance and the appearance of the youths who eat the king's food be observed by you and deal with your servants accordingly to what you see. So Daniel says, let test us. Let us eat just vegetables, nothing that comes from the king, and we'll show you by our God who we belong to. Verse 14, so the eunuch listened to them in this matter, or the steward listened to them in this matter, tested them for 10 days. And at the end of 10 days, it was seen that they were better in appearance, fatter in flesh than all the youths who ate the king's food. So the steward took away their food and the wine they were to drink and gave them vegetables. Our first vegan, right there, Daniel and his friends. As for these four youths, God gave them learning and skill in all literature and wisdom. Daniel had understanding in all visions and dreams. God poured favor upon them and specifically upon Daniel. Daniel showed his faithfulness unto the Lord by not assimilating. Now we can get into details about what he was doing by saying, I won't eat that food. It could have been, yes, religious food. He Most likely they were eating pork, which... The, as we know, the law says they were not called to do. But I think it more had to do with you were to feed from the king. He was your God. He provided your food for you. You had to eat from his table. You had to submit to him. You had to learn his language. You had to eat the way he ate. You had to live the way he lived. And Daniel said, no, we want to retain our identity, our faithfulness to God. And so... We see this blessing upon Daniel and upon the young men and show that they were strong, be, even following the Lord, even not eating the food that was given to them. Verse 18, at the end of time, when the king had commanded that they should be brought in, the chief of the eunuchs brought them in before Nebuchadnezzar and the king spoke with them. And among all of them, none was found like Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael and Azariah. Therefore, they stood before the king and in every matter of wisdom. And this is important in every matter of wisdom. And understanding about which the king inquired of them, he found them 10 times better than all the magicians and enchanters that were in all his kingdom. And Daniel was there until the first year of King Cyrus. So remember, this is Daniel writing. He says, and I was there even into the Persian kingdom. I stood before the king. So here we have Daniel and his friends because of their faithfulness to God saying, no, we are going to remain God's people in this foreign land, in this exile. We will remain God's people. They were not only rewarded by God, Daniel, which we will see, be given the gift to interpret dreams, which becomes important. But they were given strength and wisdom and understanding. So not only were they blessed by God, but they were also found honor among man. They found honor in a kingdom that was against God. Sounds a lot like Joseph, if we know. My favorite story in the Bible. Joseph found honor among a nation that was against God, against him, and he was put in a place God wanted him to be. Daniel is now put at the right hand of the king. He's in the most important place to be for when God begins to reveal his revelation. He is right there, ready to interpret the dream of the king, ready to speak the truth of what God has already given the people of God, a special place to be the mouthpiece of God, to tell the next king, king the king of Persia, that our word declares that you are to let us go back to Judah, 
to rebuild the temple, to rebuild the kingdom. He's in the perfect place to bring that message to the king because he was faithful to God. God's plan is unfolding through Daniel. Daniel's response to Babylon is powerful. Now, see, he is in exile in Babylon. And in fact, God says in exile, there is a way I want you to live. And that's the way he is called to live. Jeremiah 29, the Lord says, look, the God of Israel to all the exiles whom I have sent into exile from Jerusalem to Babylon, build houses and live in them. Plant gardens and eat their produce. Take wives, have sons and daughters. Take wives for your sons and give your daughters in marriage that they may bear sons and daughters. Multiply there. Do not decrease. Seek the welfare of the city where I have sent you into exile. And I pray the Lord on and pray to the Lord on its behalf. For in its welfare, you will find your welfare. So we see Daniel brought into this place as a captive in exile to exist in Babylon, but not to be a part of Babylon. Yes, exist. Build yourself a house. Plant food. Have children. But do not become a part of Babylon. God has a plan for you even in this Babylon. He went into Babylon and he prayed for them. He advised them. He served the king. But he would not submit to the king as his God. And so when we look at us, We look at how we are called to live in our Babylon in the same way Daniel did. So Daniel's response to Babylon was, I will be in Babylon, but I will not be of Babylon. I will live for God. I will will do what God's called me to do in Babylon, but I will not be of Babylon. That's the same response we are to have in our Babylon. Do not submit to what the world says you should be. Look at what the Lord says we should be. Submit to what the Lord says. Be faithful to the Lord. Yes, be in this world. But belong to Jesus. And that's our struggle. Just as Daniel was brought into Babylon, his response was I will be in this Babylon, but I will belong to the Lord. That's our struggle. We are in our Babylon, are we not? We are in the sp- under the spirit of Babylon, but we do not belong to Babylon. We have been set apart, sanctified, redeemed, restored to Jesus, restored to God. And so our struggle is, okay, I am in Babylon, but I must be faithful to the Lord. We cannot betray our faith. We cannot submit to our Babylon. We cannot submit to our Babylon as God. See, the Lord has a plan, even in the midst of Babylon. We see that in verse 8 of Jeremiah 29. For this says the Lord of hosts, do not let your prophets, your diviners uh, who are among you deceive you, do not listen to dreams, for for it is a lie that they are prophesying to you in my name. I did not send them. That's a kind of a disclaimer of God saying, be in Babylon, but wait for my prophecy to be fulfilled. For this says the Lord, when 70 years are completed for Babylon, I will visit you. I will fulfill to you my promise and I will bring you back to this place. For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord. Plans for welfare, not for evil, to give you a hope and a future. And then you will call upon my name and pray to me and I will hear you. So here we have this truth. We love that verse, don't we? Especially Christians today, we tattoo that on our bodies. We put that on our walls. 
But that verse is in the context of God bringing judgment upon Judah. But even in judgment, even under Babylon captivity, and we see it in our own, even under our Babylon captivity of, of the wrath of God that, that brought the curse of sin, we know that God has a plan for us. And so our struggle is to remain true to God, the Lord who has a plan even in the midst of Babylon. He has a hope for us. He's going to win. So be faithful to the one who has the victory. Babylon is enticing. All you could ever eat, all you could ever drink, all you could ever want, that's Babylon. We, I don't know if anyone watched the, the last Eternals movie, but they had the gardens of Babylon there, the great city of Babylon. The hanging gardens of Babylon, the seventh wonder of the world. Babylon is this a picture of all that man can do. And it's enticing. Today, we have Babylon all around us, don't we? And it looks enticing. But we must say no. The Babylon says all you could ever eat, all you could ever want, if you would just say that this is your God. And we say, no, I have one God. I have one Savior, Jesus Christ. Even though Daniel is brought into Babylon, he's faithful to God. Because only God is in control of it all. So that's us today. That we would see God's plan unfolding. And I think that's why Daniel wrote this book. Wanted to make sure his prophecies were recorded. He wants to see God's plan is going to unfold. So remain faithful in your Babylon. Remain faithful. Faithful in the midst of captivity. Us today, we should remain faithful in the midst of our Babylon and see that Christ's victory is what gives us hope. Christ's victory is assured. His victory is coming. His rescue from this place is there. So even in the midst of this place, let us remain faithful. Let us hold to our God, the true king. No matter what king is above us, no matter what Babylon is around us, let us hold tight to the Lord Jesus as our king. Amen? Because this is not our home. Hebrews 13, 14 says, for, we, for here we have no lasting city because we seek that the city that is to come. We seek the city that is to come. So keep your eyes on that city even in the midst of Babylon. Let us remain faithful and God will bring us through just as he did Daniel as we fix our eyes our only hope, our only future, our only plan to belong to God, to belong to Jesus forever. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, God, I thank you for this word today that you brought to us from Daniel all those years ago. 2,600 years ago. That we are your people in exile. Just as Daniel and his friends in Israel of Judah were in exile, we are in our exile here. Lord God, we need your help. Lord Jesus, I pray for everyone here that we would not hold to the things of this world that are enticing the gods of this foreign land, but that we would hold to our one true God, our one true Savior, that we would hold to you that we would walk through the valley of the shadow of death, but fear no evil because we have a shepherd. So God, I pray that we would focus on you today.
thank you for, for bringing this, this word to us that shows us that we've been struggling with Babylon for thousands of years. And I can't wait to get into your word that your victory is coming. We can't wait to see that. Lord God, help us to fix our eyes on that victory that's coming today. It's in your name, Jesus, I pray. I thank you for saving us and for keeping us even in the midst of our Babylon. Amen. Amen. All right. With that, I'd like us to uh, have communion. We'll go ahead and have communion. Can I invite uh, those to come up who will pass out the bread this, this morning? So as we open communion and, and we pass out the elements, let's take some time to pray, to focus upon the Lord, to lay our hearts before the Lord in awe of what he has done for us to make us his people, in awe of what he's done for us to forgive us and save us, and to lay our hearts before the Lord, confessing our sins, and trusting in his restoration. So Lord Jesus, we pray right now that you would prepare our hearts to receive the communion today, that we would receive your body that was broken for us, your blood that was spilt for us, with a heart of gladness, of seeing what you've done, and a heart of repentance, of turning to you, and desiring to live for you, and setting our old self aside, putting it to death as you died on that cross and taking up our new life in you every day. So God, prepare our hearts right now. In your name we pray, amen. So as we take this bread, we remember the words of our Lord and Savior. And we see that for us in Matthew. Jesus took the bread. After blessing it, he broke it. And he gave it to the disciples to eat and said, take, eat. This is my body. So let us take the bread together, the body of the Lord Christ broken for us.
Lord Jesus, let us remember your body that was broken on that cross. As you took our sin upon yourself, your body took our place. The wrath of God poured out on you so the life of God could be poured out on us. We praise you and we thank you. Amen. Now we're going to take the cup together as well. after they took the bread he took the cup when he had given thanks he gave it to them saying drink of it all of you for this is my blood of the covenant which is poured out for many for the forgiveness of sins so as we take this cup together we remember his blood that was spilt to wash away our sins white as snow to give us new life to seal the covenant with our father in heaven that we could become children of God by the forgiveness of Christ. So let's take the cup together. Lord Jesus, we just thank you for your blood that was spilt, your life that was given so that we could have new life. That you died and were buried in that grave and our sins were crucified on that cross with you and buried in that grave and that you rose to new life to show us that you had the power to bring our bodies to life as well that our sin was left in the grave and all that's left is the new life in you and that's the life we have today by your blood that has washed us white as snow Thank you, Lord Jesus, and we give you all praise, honor, and glory. Amen. Amen. Please stand, and we'll sing one last song together.
having me, and we'll see you next week.